in Daniel chapter 4, three times Nebuchadnezzar heard these words. In verse 17, look down in about the middle of the verse, to the intent that the living may know. And might I add, the living do know this. The living do. Those who have spiritual life. That the living may know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will and setteth up over it the basest of men. In verse 25, about the bottom third of Well, let's read verse 25. Then shall they drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and they shall wet thee with the dew of heaven, and seven years shall pass over to thee, till thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. And then when Nebuchadnezzar spake, in his pride, verse 29, at the end of the 12 months, he walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon. The king spake and said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty? While the word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O king Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken The kingdom is departed from thee, and they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and seven years shall pass over thee until thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. And the same hour was the thing fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar, And he was driven from men and did eat grass as an oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hairs were grown like eagle feathers and his nails like bird claws. And at the end of the days, the end of the seven years, he lifted up his mind, his understanding returned, and he learned during this time that the Most High ruleth. He learned something about the sovereignty of God. Now, Nebuchadnezzar had a son whose name was Belshazzar, and his son witnessed all of this. Look in Daniel chapter 5, verse 18. O thou king... The Most High God gave Nebuchadnezzar thy father a kingdom and majesty and glory and honor. And for the majesty that he gave him, all people, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would he slew, whom he would he kept alive, and whom he would he set up, and whom he would he put down. But when his heart was lifted up and his mind hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne. And they took his glory from him, and he was driven from the sons of men. And his heart was made like the beasts, and his dwelling was with the wild asses. They fed him with grass like an oxen, and his body was like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till he knew 
that the Most High God ruled in the kingdom of men, and that he appointeth over it whomsoever he will. And thou, his son, O Belshazzar, hast not humbled thine heart, though thou knewest all this. Belshazzar saw all this take place. Now I've entitled this message, The Writing on the Wall. You've all heard that saying, the writing on the wall. Well, this is where it came from in Daniel chapter 5. Let's look in verse 1. Daniel chapter 5, verse 1. Belshazzar the king made a great feast to a thousand of his lords and drank wine before the thousands. He's having a big party. Now, there were many parties just like this before this and many more parties just like this after this took place. A bunch of unbelievers getting together and having a good time. Now, I believe it would have remained just like this until Belshazzar crosses the line. And a providential judgment of God comes upon him. You see, every time in the scriptures, without exception, that you see a special providential judgment of God, it's for a religious sin. It's for men messing around with the things of God. And that's what took place here. Now let's go on reading. Now he's having a good time and you know that happens all the time. People enjoying themselves. He was, they were drinking wine before the thousand. Verse 2. Belshazzar, while he tasted the wine, perhaps he had become intoxicated and perhaps through that his inhibitions were gone and he was doing things that maybe he would have not normally done. But look what he did. While he tasted the wine, he commanded to bring the golden and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple, which was in Jerusalem, that the king and his princes and his wives and his concubines might drink therein. Now, in arrogant insolence, he says, let's drink our wine out of the vessels of Jehovah. He was demonstrating, though he knew better, his utter contempt for the living God. Let's take the vessels of Jehovah and drink out of them. Verse 3. Then they brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple of the house of God, which was at Jerusalem. And the king and his princes, his wives and his concubines drank in them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and of silver, of brass, of iron, of wood, and of stone. A gradation of six different kinds of gods, starting with gold and ending up with stone. Six being the number of man. Man was created on the sixth day all the different types of man-made gods he was praising. Verse 5. In the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand and wrote over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king 
saw the part of the hand that wrote. Perhaps while he was drinking, he saw this. And can you imagine how terrifying that must have been? All of a sudden, he sees a hand writing on the wall. Verse 6, Then the king's countenance was changed. He's not so arrogant and cocksure now. And his thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his loins were loosed and his knees smote one against another. Then the king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans and the soothsayers. And the king spake and said to the wise men of Babylon, Whosoever shall read this writing and show me the interpretation thereof shall be clothed with scarlet and have a chain of gold about his neck and shall be the third ruler in my kingdom. He was scared and he was going to do whatever he could to fix this problem. Verse 8. Then came in all the king's wise men, but they could not read the writing nor make known to the king the interpretation thereof. Then was King Belshazzar greatly troubled, and his countenance was changed in him, and his lords were astonished. Worldly wisdom can never understand the writing of God. Do you know whatever God has to say is a closed book to you and to me unless God is pleased to make it known? You can't figure this thing out. We're totally dependent upon revelation. Anything you truly know, and truly understand, it's what God has revealed to you. You can't figure it out. And all these wise men could not figure this out. Verse 10. Now the queen, by reason of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banquet house, and the queen spake and said, O king, live forever. Let not thy thoughts trouble thee, nor let thy countenance be changed. There is a man in thy kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. Now, Belshazzar knew about this fellow. He knew about Daniel. He grew up and saw what Daniel had interpreted. And yet he doesn't call him. His wife comes in and does it, but he doesn't do it. Why? You say, that's crazy. A lost man is crazy. A man who doesn't know God is crazy. He may be a very brilliant man. He may be a very intelligent man, but in the things of God, he's crazy. His wife tells him about Daniel. Verse 11, there is a man in thy kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And in the days of thy father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods was found in him, whom the king Nebuchadnezzar, thy father, the king, I say, the father, made master of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans and soothsayers. Forasmuch as an excellent spirit and knowledge and understanding and interpreting of dreams and showing of hard sentences and dissolving of doubts, untying of knots, were found in the same Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show thee the interpretation. Now that excellent spirit in him is the Holy Spirit. That's why he has this understanding of what's going on. So verse 13. Then 
was Daniel brought in before the king. And the king spake and said unto Daniel, Art thou that Daniel which art of the children of the captivity of Judah, whom the king, my father, brought out of Jewry? I have even heard of thee, that the spirit of the gods is in thee, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom is found in thee. And now the wise men, the astrologers, have been brought in before me that they should read this writing and make known unto the interpretation there, but they could not show the interpretation of the thing. And I've heard of thee that thou canst make interpretations. You can tell us what something means. And you can dissolve doubts. We sure can't. Now, if thou canst read the writing and make known to me the interpretation thereof, it was still there on the wall. Thou shalt be clothed with scarlet and have a chain of gold about thy neck, and thou shalt be the third ruler in my kingdom. And Daniel knew this man. He'd watched him grow up. And he knew what a wicked man he was. And look at the way he responds to Belshazzar. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let thy gifts be to thyself. And give thy rewards to another. You see, a true prophet isn't about money. He just not. I love the way he says this. Keep the stuff you want to give me for yourself. Yet, I will read the writing unto the king and make known to him the interpretation. O thou king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar thy father a kingdom and majesty and glory and honor. Where did he get it? God gave it to him. That's why he was in the position he was in. And where you are right now and where I am right now is where God has placed me. God put him in this position. Verse 19, and for the majesty that he gave him, all people, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he slew, and whom he would, he kept alive, and whom he would, he set up, and whom he would, he put down. But when his heart was lifted up and his mind hardened in pride, you remember the last thing Nebuchadnezzar said in chapter 4? Those who walk in pride, he's able to abase. But when his heart was lifted up and his mind hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne. And they took his glory from him and he was driven from the sons of men and his heart was made like beasts and his dwelling was made with the wild asses. They fed him with grass like oxen and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till he knew that the most high God ruled in the kingdom of men and he appointeth over it whomsoever he will. God is absolutely sovereign. He is the cause of causes. He controls everything. That's the sovereignty of God. He has a will. He has the power to make sure his will comes to pass. And he does make sure his will 
always comes to pass. He doeth according to his will in the armies of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? Give an account for yourself. He doesn't have to. And Nebuchadnezzar learned this. Verse 22. And thou, his son, who witnessed all this, O Belshazzar. Now, in the next few verses, Daniel brings a five-fold accusation against Belshazzar. And here's the first thing he says. In verse 22, Thou his son, O Belshazzar, has not humbled thy heart. Now, if I don't humble my heart by the grace of God, I'm going to be humiliated. If I don't humble my heart. Now, there is an unalterable law in the kingdom of heaven. You've heard of physical laws like the law of gravity, the force which draws all objects toward the center of the earth. You throw up a ball and it comes back down, going toward the center of the earth. It's a physical law. Well, there are spiritual laws that are always in place. He that exalts himself, what? Shall be abased. And he that humbles himself, shall be exalted. God hates pride. I want to repeat that. God hates pride. Pride of face, pride of race, pride of place, and most especially, Pride of grace. It's so senseless. It's so groundless. It's so arrogant. It's so evil. And God hates pride so that the scripture says he resists the proud. He's against the proud. And if God's against you, you're in trouble. He is against the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. Listen to the scripture from Isaiah 57, 15. Thus saith the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him that is of a contrite and humble spirit. That's who God dwells with. Hold your finger there in Daniel 4 and turn to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. Verse 9. And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised, looked down their nose at others. Now, what is self-righteousness? Beloved, it's any righteousness that comes from self. That's simple enough, isn't it? That's self-righteousness. Now let's go on reading. 
He said in verse 10, two men went up into the temple to pray. The one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. He thought he was praying to God, but he wasn't. He's praying to himself. God, I thank thee that I'm not as other men are. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Let me tell you something about this fellow. Number one, he was a liar. Everything he said he didn't do, he did do. And the commandments he said he kept were commandments God never gave in the first place. God never said fast twice in the week. But here's his righteousness. Verse 13. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but he smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. The definite article's actually there. Not a sinner, the sinner. He believed himself to be absolutely the worst man alive. That's what this fellow thought about himself. The most sinful man alive. You guys listen to Bruce Crabtree preach uh, this week, actually. I was listening to him on CD, and he made a statement I've never heard anybody say, but it, he said, um, I'm not shocked by hell. I'm shocked by heaven. It's something, isn't it? I understand hell real easy. What I'm so amazed by is heaven, that a sinner can be brought there. Now this man cried, God be propitious is the word. God be propitious. Not just merciful in a general way. Be propitious. Let your reason for anger be removed through the blood sacrifices. What this fellow he couldn't plead anything else. That's all he could plead. Be propitious. Look at me for Christ's sake. Look at me through the sacrifice. And look what the Lord says. Verse 14, I tell you, this man went down to his house not forgiven, though he was, not pardoned, though he was, but justified. Justified. Not guilty. What about his sin? If you're justified, you don't have any sin. Now, I remember hearing somebody make the comment about this parable. They said the Lord said regarding this fellow, he went down to his house justified rather than the other, and he never gave a comment as to what that meant. But he uses the entire Bible to explain it. The entire Bible tells what he meant by that. Now look what the Lord says next in verse 14. For everyone that exalts himself shall be abased. And he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Now he said, you've not humbled your heart. Back to our text in Daniel chapter 5. Though thou knewest all this, you sinned against great light. You knew all this and you did it anyway. 
The more light you have, the more knowledge you have, the greater will be your condemnation. He said, you knew what you were doing. Now, Lord, my sin is against light. Have mercy on me. You know, I look at the men and women in this congregation. If you don't believe, if after hearing the gospel, you don't believe, you'll have it worse in hell than others because of the gospel that you've heard. If I don't believe, if I'm just going through the motions and saying this and I don't really believe, the hottest place in hell will be reserved for me. You've sinned against great light. You knew about all of this. But verse 23, he says, here's the third charge. But you've lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. You've lifted up yourself against God. Now understand this about sin. I, I, I wish we could get a hold of this. I wish I could get hold of it. Sin's against God. That's why it's so bad. I don't think we much believe that or we don't much think about it. But the reason sin is so bad is it's against God. David said against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight that you might be justified when you speak and you might be clear when you judge. Sin is against God. Now David sinned against Bathsheba. David sinned against her husband Uriah when he murdered him. But he understood the root problem against thee and thee only have I sinned. Belshazzar, you've lifted up yourself against the Lord God of heaven. Sin is an attack against God. It's trying to take his place, this lifting up himself. He showed what contempt he had for God when he brought the vessels of the temple in. Now, I do believe God would have just ignored him and dealt with him on judgment day if they were just going on the way they were. You know, but when he brings the temple, the vessels of the temple in, that's when the handwriting comes against the wall. And let's go on reading. Verse 23. You've lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven, and they've brought thee vessels of his house before thee, and thou and thy lords, thy wives, and thy concubines have drunk wine in them, and thou hast praised the gods of silver and gold, of brass and iron and wood and stone, which see not. He tells it like it is with regard to these idols, these man-made gods, nor hear, nor know. You've been an idolater. And here's the fifth charge. And the God in whose hand thy breath is and whose are all thy ways hast thou not glorified. You have failed to glorify God. Now I want you to listen to me real carefully. God's glory is more important to him than anything else. It's why he does all that he does. His own glory is why he does what he does. And any motive other than that would be beneath the dignity of his person. God seeks his glory in all things. Now somebody may ask, what? is meant by His glory. We hear from the words of His own mouth when Moses said in Exodus thirty-three eighteen, show me your glory. And He gave an answer. 
He said, I'll make all my goodness to pass before thee. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee. And I will be merciful to whom I will be merciful. And I will show compassion to whom I will show compassion. That's his glory. His goodness is his capacity to save somebody like me. Somebody as sinful and worthless as me. His name is his attributes, all of which are displayed in his salvation. And he has mercy on whom he will have mercy. Sovereign mercy. Now that is his glory. Belshazzar, you've not acknowledged his glory. You've not sought his glory. You've not given him glory. You've not loved his glory. You've been indifferent toward that which is most precious to himself, his own glory. Now, Belshazzar, you will glorify him. You'll glorify his justice when he damns you. But wouldn't it have been better for you to acknowledge, to seek, to love, and to give him glory? Now, how can I, while I'm looking at this, he says to Belshazzar, he says, you didn't give me glory. The God in whose breath, in, in your breath is in his hand. He can take it right now. You failed to glorify him. How in the world can I glorify him? Well, hold your finger there and turn to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. It's said of Abraham, beginning in verse 19, and being not weak in faith. Romans 4, 19. He considered not his own body, now dead, when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith. What's it say next? Giving glory to God. Being fully persuaded that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. Now, my dear friend, if you share in that faith, with him, you give glory to God. Now back to Daniel chapter 5. After those charges are brought against him, he says, Then, verse 24, was the part of the hand sent from him, and this writing was written, and this is the writing. It was written. Meaning, meaning, tikel, ufarsin. This is the interpretation of the thing. Meaning, God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. It's all over, Belshazzar. Tikel. Thou art weighed in the balances, the balances of absolute justice. Now, I think of Belshazzar. He had a good time while he lived here. I mean, he would have parties for the thousands. He'd drink his wine, and he would oppress people. It's hard telling how many people he had put to death and oppressed in his wicked reign. And He thought, everything's okay for me. 
Nothing's ever going to happen. But he didn't realize that he's going to be weighed in the balances of absolute justice. Everybody is. You're weighed in the balances. And you're found wanting. Now you and I understand something about that. But listen to this. You remember that poor old publican we just read about? Who by his own admission cried, God be merciful to me, the sinner. He was weighed in the balances. And he came out perfect. In the balances of God's justice, he came out perfect. And so does everyone who believes on the Lord Jesus Christ because they're justified. You, I'm going to be weighed in the balances of God's most strict justice. And I'm going to come out perfect. That's the heritage of every believer. Thou art weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Remember, he's learning now. God rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomsoever he wills. So your kingdom's over. It's given to somebody else. Then commanded Belshazzar and they clothed him, Daniel, with scarlet and put a chain of gold about his neck. Maybe he thought if he did this, maybe it wouldn't happen. And he made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That night was Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, slain. And Darius the Median took the kingdom, being about threescore and two years old. You see, the handwriting was on the wall. Now, we read a passage of scripture like that. It's scary, isn't it? It's scary to see what happened to this man. I want to humble my heart before him. And you know how I humble my heart before him? It's not by groveling. It's not by talking about how bad I am and trying to let everybody know how bad I am and all that. That's, that's not, you know, there can be more pride in that than anything when somebody, you know, trying to, uh, uh, here's the way you humble your heart before him. You believe the gospel. It's that simple. You believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you've humbled your heart before him. Now we're going to observe the Lord's table together and I, I want to read one scripture. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. First Corinthians chapter 11. Now, this is a sermon that every believer is going to preach right now. Verse 26. First Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show forth the Lord's death till He come. Now here's what I'm showing in showing forth the Lord's death. Because of His death, I'm put on the scales of absolute justice. And I'm not found wanting. I'm found perfect. You do show forth the Lord's death. You know, I, I love the Lord's life. 
But what would his life be without his death? You show forth the Lord's death until he come. You men would come pass out the bread and wine.